0: Hear what they've done to get there and where they want to go now. Settle back. It's time for a bit of inspiration and advice. Come listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith.
1: Welcome to another episode of Discovered Wordsmiths. Today I have Jim Hepburn on here and he writes a fantasy book called Hunted by Fire. It's the first in the series that we will talk about. Uh, if you like fantasy, it sounds like a great book. Uh, it's one that uh, you will enjoy, I'm sure. Uh, it's interesting talking to him about the editing of it and how big it was and what to cut down and how to cut that down. But beyond that, he and I talk a little bit about STEM, which is one of the topics near and dear to my heart, since I like to work with teachers in schools, kids, homeschool parents, about various things to help kids that we aren't really teaching them. And the one I focus like on is storytelling and storytelling for video games. So it fit right in with a lot of the things I like to talk about with Jim. And we have a lot of the same thoughts on our school system and things we'd like to see changed and done. So it was a good conversation for that. And speaking of, I've got some exciting things going on in the author world myself. Last weekend, I went to a cryptid convention. Now, if you know me, my son used to be in the cryptids big time. He wrote a book. He did talks. He attended some very big conventions. He got invited to attend and speak at. And we haven't done it for a couple of years. And there was a friend of ours at this one close by, and we decided to go to it. And both of us said, "Wow, we really missed this." Well, at the convention, I ran into Jim Beard, who is the second half of the publishing duo for Flinch Books. The other half is John Bruning, who lives here in. Cleveland, and he's been on the Relentless Geekery podcast with Alan and I, and that episode will air here on Discovered Wordsmiths in a couple weeks. But I talked to Jim. The first thing he said was, "Hey, what'd you get John on for, and you didn't get me? I'm jealous." So <laughs> I, I laughed. Told him, "Yeah, okay, I'll get you on Jim. No problem." uh And it's great. He he writes uh, some fiction that deals with IP of some interesting characters, like Cold Chat, if you know who that is. Or the green hornet he's also written x-files and planet of the apes so he's got some good stuff along with his own books uh sergeant janus are the ones i really like which if you know who Carnacki is and have read Carnacki book by Hod hutchins uh these are very similar modern pulp fiction books and later this summer i'm going to meet jim and john down at a uh, pulp fest in pittsburgh so for all you bookies out there that like reading Uh, If you've ever read and enjoyed the Pulp Fiction era of books, it's a great thing to go to. It's beginning or mid-August, Pulp Fest in Pittsburgh. Flinch books will be there, and John writes some uh, uh, Midnight Guardian, uh, modern pulp, though he doesn't like that term, and Jim writes some short stories and other fiction that fits right into that genre. He also fit in very well at the (laughs) cryptic convention. So that's going to be a really great, upcoming thing. and It's good to see Jim over the weekend. But then this coming weekend, if you are in the Ravenna, Ohio area, Main Street on Ravenna is doing a art, uh, art walk, art on the street, something like that. Um, art on Main, maybe. <laughs> but uh, I am going to be there with my books. And Kathy, who has been on here talking about books, is going to be on there with her Books A Go Go pop-up store. Uh, so I'll be signing books for her and talking about video games, storytelling, and it'll be a great time. A lot of good art uh, all day, Saturday, the 10th. So uh, if you are going to be in the area, stop by, check it out. So uh, I will quit talking and move on to Jim. Today on Discover Miss, I want to welcome Jim Hepburn. Jim, good afternoon. How are you doing? It's a bright, sunny spring day here. How about you?
2: Yeah, no, it's good, Stephen. Thanks for having me. It's kind of cloudy and overcast, but it's warm. So that's nice. what matters sometimes.
1: But to let our audience know a little bit about who you are, tell us some of the things you like to do, where you live, and things you do besides writing.
2: Yeah, sure. So I live up in Canada. I'm right around the Toronto area there. And I, I spend a lot of my time when I'm out writing. I usually either cook or do. I do lots of jujitsu. also. I love that's doing cool. that. Getting beat up for fun is great. <laughs> and. <laughs> And yeah, between that, hanging out with my dog and my fiance, and then writing that, that captures about 95% of the time that's there. So what's your
1: favorite thing to cook?
2: Oh, pizza, hands down. I, yeah, no, I, you know, it was funny, it was, my family's always loved pizza forever, and I could eat pizza every day of the week if I had the opportunity. But for Christmas, my mother gave me this book, this pizza Bible, written by a 12-time pizza champion in New York or something like that. So I studied up on it and got the pizza stone and the pizza pen, and uh, I went to town on that a couple times and I, I like to do that when I have time, but it's, it's awesome.
1: I'd love to get an outside pizza oven, one of those brick pizza ovens they have.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. That would be the dream one day. <laughs> right now I just, I, I got to make do with the oven and trying to peel the thing right. off the stone and mess it up when I shove it in there. Yeah. I've, uh, yeah. Maybe one day I'll be a pizza master, maybe down the road my grandkids uh,
1: or a jujitsu master one of those maybe (laughs) so do you take jitsu is it mixed like kids and adults or do you just take adult classes
2: nope no it's specifically adult class, and it's it's pretty much anybody over 18 you jump in and and jiu-jitsu is interesting it's so interesting about it is you can you jump into it and your weight doesn't matter when you're really good at it in a way it's our coach actually so i'm six foot i'm 185 pounds i like to keep in shape as much as i can our coach is a guy he's in his 30s and he's 135 pounds so very small and he's phenomenal it's amazing what you can do when you know the art really well and how you can defend yourself with it it's obsessive in a lot of
1: ways yeah i took a style called Wan. it's korean uh, for years with my kids yeah Oh, wow. I love love that. Actually, I think the guy that does kooksawan and the guy that originated jujitsu in America, I think they're like friends. They actually know each other. Oh. So I I think if I remember the history, something like that. (laughs) But anyway, why did you want to start writing?
2: I started writing because I really felt like I needed to. It was something that... Let me rewind. So I started writing about when I was 25. And... For the longest time, you, you consume books. All if you really like fantasy and literature, you consume books all the time. And I got to the point where I went to school, and I had to then start consuming books for to pass, as opposed for fun, as opposed to for fun. And I got out of it for a little while, and I came back to it. And work was pretty smooth, and things were going well. But I felt like something was missing, and I wanted to do something more constructive with my hobby time. And I had always tried to write a book. Back when you're 16, 17, you might pull out a piece of paper and scribble on and and try to see how that works before getting completely overwhelmed. And so I wanted to go back to that. And then it started off as a see if I could do it sort of thing. And it just kept evolving as I wrote more and more chapters before turning into the debut novel there, Hunted by Fires. And then afterwards, I really tried to turn it into something that I thought I would have really loved when I was 13, 14, 15, 16 age. Yeah.
1: Nice. Okay, so let's talk about that book. Tell us a little bit about it. Give us a title again and a little bit about it without giving away the whole story.
2: Yeah, no problem. So it's called Hunted by Fire. It's a young adult fantasy. And it's about a, it's about a young boy, 15-year-old boy. And in his world, humanity is ruled over by the tyrannical, barbaric dragon gods. And they've been ruling over humanity for thousands of years. And... The status quo is, is it's not good, I guess, let's say that. And, and so this boy, unlike most others around him, like his friends and his family, he feels like something's off, like how they're being treated isn't right. And so he dreams of rebelling, but he's stuck too, because he's young and he needs to hide those thoughts while trying to find his own place in the world from people who might want to seek him out. And so this boy, he's not combat trained, though he'd like to be, and he isn't exactly charismatic like some of his friends are, but he's clever. He's got a knack for building and inventing and for science and engineering. And and coming up in this hometown is this famous contest held by the gods to determine who the smartest and most determined young people are. And so our protagonist, this boy, he wants to enter and he wants to do it not just to prove what he can do to everybody else, but also to help find his own place going forward in the future. But in the background, there's some events happening unbeknownst to him that that are going to cause some, maybe some scary and some formidable people to come looking for him. And he's got to get gritty and get resourceful. If he's going to have any hope of escaping them.
1: Nice. Great. I like the elements in there. The fantasies. It's sounds similar to what I've got coming of age type fantasy stories. Those oh, yeah. are some of my, I love those. So why did you want to write? I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: I was just going to say, which kinds did you read there?
1: Uh, that I read, I like Rorden. Oh, yeah. When I was reading JK Rowling to my kids, and when I first started writing, I'm like, okay, she's like the biggest, let's do what she does. And, and yeah. that's it. So I live by Kent State, and they do a Wizarding World Festival every year. So I said, oh, I'll write a short story. That way I can have something and set up an author table. I can offer it for five bucks or something. Sure. And that short story turned into not just one full novel, but a planned five to seven book series. So oh, wow. he was my inspiration, but I actually think I write style-wise a little bit more like Rorden. Oh yeah,
2: okay.
1: Uh, what, are there any books out there that you would say are similar to yours?
2: Yeah, I tried to write it in a way similar to maybe Christopher Paolini and Aragon. It, they're thicker books, for sure. Hunted by Fire is 400 and some pages there. But wow. I would say most like Aragon, I suppose. And then with elements of maybe some Brent Weeks or Jim Butcher down the road. But those are more adult style books. Yeah, yeah, so I was trying to, when I was writing it there, I wanted to bridge the gap a little bit and see if we could get some of those darker elements in a more approachable right. way for the younger guys.
1: Arguably, Jim Butcher, he's not too explicit or out there with either violence or sex and stuff no. like that. So if my kids were 12 or something, I'd have no problem with them reading the Dresden stuff.
2: Yeah, uh, the Dresden stuff's amazing. I, it's so great. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, it has I'm to- actually
1: in the middle of the first one. That's the first time I've read it. Oh, really?
2: Yeah, <laughs> You're in for a wild ride if you want to stick with it. It's uh, He writes fast-paced action scenes very well, very clear, very easy to visualize. It's awesome stuff. Yeah, yeah. I've
1: been enjoying it. My son kept pushing me for it because he loves them. Uh, oh, yeah. so he's still young. He has lots of time to read, so he reads a whole lot more than I do.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We have so much time when we're younger to read and do all that stuff, eh? and then we get older and things get in the way, and then all of a sudden you, choose, you have to be choosy with your time sometimes, especially when you have kids. Yeah. I was
1: just going to say, you said fiancé, so I imagine there's going to be a wedding someday and probably kids someday. So, yeah, you don't know what not having time is like yet.
2: (laughs) That's true. That's part of the game plan. I I like to prize the time that I have right now because I know it's going to be gone very soon.
1: (laughs) But but it's a good gone. It it really is. And I think that's part – I enjoyed my kids when they were young, and I think that's part of the reason I enjoy writing middle-grade fiction so much. Partly because my kids say that's just – I'm like a 12-year-old, so it fits. Uh, So – what Have you had any good feedback from readers? What have people been saying about your books?
2: Yeah, I've had lots of great feedback. It's been awesome. You get feedback from friends and family, which is one thing, but the prized feedback is really the feedback from people outside yourself that make its way back to you. Right. And it's been great. Lots of kids, especially who's who the book is for they've read it and they love the action scenes they love the main character they loved the they love the the kind of steampunkish feel to the fantasy and they like supporting a character who's got some uh, got some intelligence behind him who's resourceful who can solve some problems that way as opposed to with just i guess just combat prowess in a sense which is what a lot of things are doing right but yeah i know it's been very encouraging it's been great Nice. Yeah.
1: I was going to say, your main character sounds a little bit like the fantasy world version of MacGyver, which I'm all for. I
2: love that. Ooh. You know what? I, I don't know MacGyver. I've heard the name. <laughs> I can't you comment. Are, it you though. are young.
1: <laughs> okay. I, I say that because the original MacGyver, the actor, Richard Dean Anderson, that was my favorite show when I was younger. And that's one of the things that started me. I wanted to write a story with a character like that. And oh, I yeah. actually met him a couple of weeks ago. I was very excited. Oh, lifelong. long. Wow fan got to meet him you should i think it's on amazon prime you should find or cbs it's cbs you should find an episode or two and just watch it because the way you described your character sounds a lot like him even though they're getting a little outdated for shows
2: but oh yeah I mean, yeah there you go i'll have to check that out then maybe i was so, inspired by it
1: there you go speaking of shows if you had a choice what would you rather turn this into a, a tv or a movie
2: TV shows are so nice that eh? you get to cover so much more content in the over the span of a TV show. I, I guess I'd have to go with that for sure. It's I think probably like any content creator would love to have shows delve into the nuances of all their storytelling right. that they have there. Some things get lost in a movie, but movies are nice too because they have that completion factor. You get the closure at the end for sure, right. which right. sometimes you worry about with a long TV show.
1: So, do you have plans for more books in this series, or was this a standalone?
2: No, I'm writing avidly. I, uh, so I work full time. This, uh, this is something that I do as a side, as building the dream sort of idea. So right now I'm about three quarters through the second one in terms of finishing that. And then, yeah, I'm going to make many more, hopefully, just to keep building on it and having fun and exploring the world and seeing what the characters can do.
1: Nice. Yeah. That, th- th- do you have plans for how many books are going to be in the series or are you just writing them as you think of them right now?
2: Uh, yeah, I don't want to overextend the story. I want to have at least, I always thought in my head to have at least five, for sure. Ten seems like a stretch when you're only done book one, working on book two. You never know. <laughs> but I think if it's if there's something there that people really like and that people respond to, then I can see myself writing it for a long time. and right. And really, like I said, just really exploring the full length of it of all the characters that are in there and the story that could be had and making something that could be really epic and fun that somebody could a kid ideally maybe you could really sink into on book one and be excited that there's nine more books coming i always yeah. felt that myself when I were, whenever i found a series and you, there's a lot of books in the, in the in a row you you get giddy because then you have to look for a while longer my parents even found the same thing <laughs> trying to find me right. yeah
1: yeah and, and middle grade Type age range is great because they become avid readers, but they're omnivorous. They don't just want to read fantasy. They don't want to read just mystery or whatever. They one of this and one of this and one of this, and they read lots. And I know I had a friend in school. He would read 10 books a week and he still reads several books a week, even full-time adult with job and kid and stuff. Oh yeah, that's so, good for him. Yeah. It, so it's nice to have the books for them to read because they, if they love it, man, they want to read all of them.
2: Yeah, and I was like that too. I remember getting any kind of book, like J.K. Rowling, Riordan, the New Aragon books, anything. I would devour them in two days, and it would it would be all you would want to do. You just get so absorbed right. as a young child, just reading this volume and reliving this story. It's so yeah. So I always wanted something like that for my readers too. Hopefully, good,
1: nice, yeah. Just go to sleep. No, just five more minutes, mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the flashlight right. under the blankets. Yeah,
2: that's right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Do you have a website that people could go to and check out your book in future books?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's authorjimhepburn.com. author, Jim So it's fairly easy to find, but yeah, I, I put all my updates on there. Any artwork I get, I put up on there. I even have, I have a progress meter actually on there too, of the next book. So people can have a bit of an idea when it's coming <laughs> nice. and set the expectation. Yeah. Yeah.
1: As long as you remember to update it, <laughs> it's not magically automatic.
2: <laughs> That's true. That's true.
1: <laughs> I had one and I looked at, it, I said, Oh, Book one's 15% done. I just published it. So, better <laughs> <gotta> update <laughs> no.
2: that. Oops. It was a big update that day.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was. A, I did a lot of writing last night. Uh, so, Jim, so, we've talked about reading and books. So, what are some of your other favorite books and authors? You've mentioned a few.
2: Yeah, I did mention Jim Butcher. Jim Butcher, honestly, has to be one of my favorites just because of the simplicity of the writing, the fast pace of the action, the, the way he's able to really build up a critical climax and develop the characters in a way that extends the stories over so long and keeps you invested. It's awesome. It's definitely one of the be- I think he's, I think he's underrated in a lot of ways. I think he's great. And then of course everybody, I think everybody mentioned this a lot too, but Patrick Rothfuss is, is also equally amazing. And that's a whole conversation to be had about the, how un- about that series and its status. But, but the way he writes was I think when I read that for the first time, when I was in my early twenties was just next level. It's agreed. something to really aspire to in terms of in terms of writing skill and how he makes everything so immersive. Yeah,
1: yeah, agreed. That book hit me out of left field. I heard a lot of people buzzing about it, and I picked it up. I said, "Okay, I'll give it a try." I'm like, I got done. I'm like, "What just happened?" It was yeah. like, "Wow, yeah,
2: that's right." Eh? Yeah. It's so mind blowing. And like I said, there's a whole conversation you could potentially have about that, but that's that's up there for sure. Patrick wrote this right. and it's, and it's Have
1: a favorite local bookstore you like to go to.
2: I'm from a small town, so we actually don't have a local bookstore here that's independent. So whenever, when I grew up, there was a chapters nearby that I always frequented and it's still there. I guess now it's Indigo maybe is the the Canadian version, I think. But yeah, that's where I would always go. And then picture my book, maybe being on that shelf one day and, and finding whatever else I could. And, and also going to those employees over the years and going, hey, what else can I find that's like this and trying to scour their brain for something else? That's awesome.
1: And that's a good point. That's the best reason, especially with kids. To go to a nice local bookstore because they get to know you, they know what you like, and they have recommendations. I have a gentleman come on about once a month on the podcast and he talks about new books coming out or a selection of books that are recommended and things. And we did middle grade books. It's because he, he's like, when middle grade kids come in, they want to what else do you have? What else do you have? So I agree. I love do I used to love doing that on vacation with my kids. We'd go find bookstores.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I find sometimes that chapters there, at least last time I was there, I remember combing through the young adult section looking for books for if I was that age and I was looking at the chapter shelf, okay, what would I be interested in? What do I think would catch my eye? And I still find myself doing that from time to time. Nice. Yeah.
1: Before we move on, we're going to talk some interesting author stuff. Why, if someone came up to you on the street and said, Hey, I heard you wrote a book. They had a kid maybe. And said, "Why should we get this book for us or our kid? What would you tell them?"
2: I would tell them, it, it, "It's an immersive story. It's it's about a character that isn't going to solve his problems with brawn. A lot of pro, a lot of problems in our life are are mental. You got to use you got to solve them with discipline and focus and assertiveness and force of will and cooperation." And so I would tell them because I would tell them that if they were going to buy it, what they get out of it is hopefully a character who can inspire their kid to really i guess really latch on to those ways to solve problems does that make sense
1: yeah absolutely and based on that answer you really should go seek out the original 80s macgyver because that's almost pretty much describing the show
2: oh yeah Uh, (laughs) good to know yeah
1: go check it out you might enjoy it yeah it's a little outdated but uh, i still love that character so Let's that... talk a bit of author stuff for all of our author friends and the writing business. You've written a book and you're working on another one. What are some things that you've learned that you're doing different since you wrote that first one?
2: Since I wrote the first one, I find, I guess, st- starting a series is so challenging in a lot of ways, right? Because you have to set so many, you have to introduce things at a good pace while keeping readers engaged and setting up what the story is going to be like. I find writing the second book is a lot easier in a sense, because you've been there, done that. You set the stage. Anybody who's read the first one knows what's going to happen in the second one. And things are a lot quicker. You can get to the action quicker. You can get to critical moments faster, I find, which is great. It's exciting for me as a writer.
1: <laughs>
2: but what I've learned, I guess I've learned that you can get, I think everyone must say, everybody must say this too, but you can get it on the page. And then you can edit it after and you can, it's a—it's all a performance art sort of idea. So you can edit that thing as much as you want to make it and, per, and tweak it and alter it and perfect it until it sounds like exactly how you want to say it. And it reads the exact way you want it to read and hopefully catches those emotions and the exact way you want them to be caught. Then you can then at that point, then you can call it done. And. Whereas before, I think I spent a lot of time trying to, in the moment, find the right word, the right phrase. So I didn't have to go back and do that all as, as much, but that's probably one of the big things.
1: Yeah, sure. I think that's a great point. And it's something that I've heard a lot of people give similar advice, that it's just words. Don't be so precious of individual words or sentences. Get rid of it if you need to, expand it if you have to, change it if you have to. And I think until you've written a bit, you don't really get it and understand that you have to have something under your belt or a couple somethings before it really clicks. It's yeah, I've written hundred fifty thousand words. I can change these. It's not. It's not that big of a deal because I know some people really get. Oh, I don't want to change anything.
2: Yeah, that's tough too. That's tough too. Actually, on my first book, so "Hunted by Fire" is about one hundred eighty thousand words. The first draft was two hundred and ninety. And wow. I didn't know how long that was. It took, I was, I had an editor who I was engaging with and they, I told them the word count and they said, are you for real? It's like 290,000 words. And I said, yeah. And what's the big deal? Isn't that kind of what the standard is? And, and they said, okay. And this is how they broke it down for me. They said, okay, you know, the first Harry Potter book, like very first one, Philosopher's Stone. And I said, yeah. And they go, that's 80,000 words. Right. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And the like, Order of the Phoenix, the fifth one, the biggest one, the thickest one. I said, yeah. And they said... That's 290,000 words. Oh, okay. (laughs) So then I, yeah, so then we cut it down a lot (laughs) and it was painful, but yeah.
1: So that's great. I want to hear a little bit about that because if I know a lot of authors have a really hard time cutting things out. Everything's essential. I love it all. So you had essentially two or even three books, depending on how big kids' books are, 80 to 100,000, middle grade fantasy. So what did you do? And what did you cut out? How'd you decide what to cut out? And did you put it elsewhere? What'd you do with that whole process?
2: Sure. I think the critical part of that was determining what, because there's so many aspects to a story when you are building it up from the bottom, right? You envision this thing that you're going to make that's all encompassing and has all these elements and you're tying them all together at the end. And I looked at that 290 draft and I sat there. Thinking the same thing, like I said, that everybody else must think. Oh, I can't know. I don't know what to cut. I'm going to have to cut things out of the story, and it was I, trying to find that realization and trying to actualize it about all those little encompassing things that that to you as the author make your story look complete. It was trying to find which ones were actually distracting, or maybe that didn't hit as hard emotionally. That then even though it's even though it's great and even though it was it's awesome and it, it makes sense and it's complete from a story perspective we're maybe distracting from something that could be a bit brighter underneath sort of idea so a lot I of think- it was going yeah
1: Oh, no, please finish. Finish.
2: Oh uh, yeah. So a lot of it was going into the beginning, you know, finding these extra chapters that I had, ha- I had in there to get to know the characters a bit more before some critical conflict, and then going, okay, do they? Do I really? Do they really? Does the reader really need to read this to understand who this character is or have an idea? And so then maybe that meant cutting out two chapters, which would be something to the tune of ten thousand words, maybe, and then going into those first chapters, those very beginning chapters where you first met them and highlighting even more what their qualities were, what made them stand out. So the reader had a better idea of who they were going into the rest of the story. Yeah. There's just, like I said, just all these little completed parts that you had to take out from the beginning and from the end to then reveal the core story that you really wanted to tell.
1: Right. And like we said about the writing itself, the editing, the chopping, the moving and whatever, that's another skill. It's probably even more important that you've gotten through some stuff and edited and chopped and moved to get that experience. Or because I, I've known authors, I've talked to them, heard them, or it's, oh yeah, I sent this book to my editor and they told me to cut this out and the other thing. I didn't listen to them and published it like it is. And I've begun to think, wow, they missed that. Learning experience they missed what could have made their book better. Cause sometimes cutting things out improves the book. And that's a skill you have to learn by going through it a couple times.
2: Yeah, I think it's important to under- to remember at the end of the day that as an author, you want to make something that's so that's so complete and beautiful and perfect in a lot of ways. But I think as a reader, you're looking for something that's engaging and entertaining that if you're lucky will inspire you or make you feel something that you've never felt before or have all these other things that could happen as a result of engaging from it and so to make something engaging entertaining often you must focus on what's only need that uh, only needs to be there. You know?
1: And so when I always ask authors hey let's talk let's find a topic to discuss for the second half with The author talk, and you said, "Hey, let's talk about STEM in high school." And I went, "Oh yeah, I'd love to. That's right up my alley." Why did you want to talk about that? And what areas do you want? Did you want to discuss a bit?
2: Yeah, it was so important to me because something that related to the related to Felix, who's the protagonist in this book, in "Hunted by Fire." Like I said, he has to solve all of his problems with his mind, and it's something that I think when you are a, a young person entering high school. A lot of times you get a little classified as an arts kid or a science kid at the beginning. Maybe you have a really good experience with something or you get a good mark on a test. Or maybe it could be a negative aspect where maybe you had a bad teacher experience once. And so kids, I think, go through high school and they're trying to figure out who they're going to become and what they're going to do in life. They have this connotation that, oh, STEM, math, science, stats, it's hard. It's not for me. And then they immediately classify themselves as it's not for me. It's not something that's, that I'm going to be ever be able to do. I should avoid it and steer myself somewhere else. And so for me in high school, when I was reading at the prime of my life and going through that type of stuff, I had a similar situation where I was really good at English and the arts and whatnot. And I had to struggle at math and science and it didn't come naturally. And... I, but I worked at it a little bit though, because I wanted to, my parents were very encouraging and they wanted me to get good at that, to theoretically go on to school and maybe do something in engineering or be a scientist or have something with that science-y background that everybody thinks is really valuable. And it is valuable in a lot of ways. But so when I was there in high school, unfortunately, we had a program where it was very uncertain when you're in high school, going to the next level of university university or college if you could hack it out at that level. So, if, for example, if we're, I had teachers in the English class and also in the arts classes that would tell us, okay, just so you know, like our high school is really good at, we excel whenever kids go off to English programs or philosophy programs or what have you, or journalism programs. But we kids from our school always tend to struggle whenever they go into math or engineering or something like that. So hearing that as somebody going through was... A little nerve wracking because you're going to, you're about to take this big step. And the biggest thing you want to avoid is failing or disappointing your parents or disappointing yourself. And so I thought about that and I went and I did something artsy. I did a psychology degree.
1: Yeah, Yeah. that's artsy. (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. There's some science in there too, but that's what I chose to do. and, And that's what I did. So when I graduated school and then I got involved in the working life and I understood what the world a little bit more was about a little bit more. I looked back and I thought to myself, I wondered what would have happened if I had just stuck with it a little bit more, if I had believed in myself a little bit more, if I had understood that the science and the maths don't come to very many people very naturally, but you got to work at them and the work that you put in yields a reward that wasn't tangible to me at the time. So that so that's why I wanted to talk about STEM because it's such a, it's such a daunting topic to a lot of kids and It'd be nice, I think, in a lot of ways, if kids were inspired to just grasp onto it a little bit more, to, to try it one more time, to find some value in it that maybe is beyond, beyond them right now.
1: You said the teachers said the math, science, our students struggle. The first thing that came to my mind was if this is a common thing going through various years of school, maybe it's the teachers. Maybe you should look at getting more training for the teachers or switching teachers or something. That was just my first thought.
2: Yeah. You know what? I'm sure that that was a thought too. I don't know. I think in a, it, back then it was very focused on, maybe it still is. I, I don't know, but everybody was very focused on getting into that next step, even if it might not be right for you in a way we had a in our high school, at least we had a big focus on getting kids to university or to college. And that was where they wanted to funnel you, which isn't necessarily right, but that's what they did for better or for worse. And, and yeah. And so I think to them, they had kids. Hey, just to get to university, you know what you, should, you know what you should do. Maybe you should take this arts course, this English course. Do this. Take the minimum required math because those are hard. Don't bother with those, and then you'll get there. <laughs> I think that kind of was the feel a little bit. If I had to, if I had to spitball it, I guess. But uh, I wonder too if maybe there could have been a bit of a change there. Maybe there has been in the years since. Who knows? But
1: uh, well, it sounds like you feel important that it's an important thing, and you put that into your writing. That's, you described your character is all about math and science. So was it a conscious thing that you wanted to give back to kids and try and encourage them through your stories? Or was it just, you know, it felt good or something? Was there a specific reason you did that?
2: No, 100%. Absolutely. My dream is that somebody will read Hunted by Fire and be inspired by the main character and how he solves the problems in the world and, be in, and then be inspired to re-engage with the harder problems they have in their own world, which are very likely math and science and whatnot, and uh, and just challenge and just I guess just find the the will to want to challenge themselves a bit more and delve into something that maybe is a bit scary and a bit daunting, but can yield great results for them down the road, for sure. Nice, yeah. Because I think there's lots of problems going on in the world, and it can't be denied. There's lots of there's lots of things going on, but I think you could use as many well rounded people out there to help solve these things. And so part of being well rounded is engaging with the math and the sciences in times when they maybe they're when they're hard
1: yeah and i think a lot of teachers are trying now different ways of introducing and approaching teaching that yeah, and there's w- awesome. way more cool opportunities my my cousin's grandson they have a robot lego course oh, oh yeah. i didn't have a robot lego course and then they just awesome. do all these yeah my kids <laughs> they build a working diorama of the panama canal Wow, that's pretty cool. I would have loved doing that stuff when I was in school. So I think understanding that these are sometimes tough subjects for kids to wrap their brains around and instead of just beating on them and here's this and here's the rules of science and the rules of math, I think they're trying new things and different ways of doing it. And I know the school my kids went to, it's a STEM, it was a STEM high school and they they weren't trying to avoid anything, but instead of focusing on, here's a, a different lesson for every week, and we've got all these assignments, we've got all this homework and all this, they said, let's focus on this and this, and they did projects. And they learned geometry by doing a string art project for art class. And oh, that wow. was partly for geometry in, in their math. And I think it made a whole lot more sense, even if maybe there were a few lessons that didn't get focused on. The basis of what they got was much stronger than yeah. just trying to buzz through everything with nobody understanding any of it. So well, I think there are some differences nowadays.
2: Uh, yeah, that's so cool to hear that there's teachers going about that and there's programs that are angling it in that way. That's awesome to hear that story about the Lego and the Panama Canal. Like reconstructing the Panama Canal would be such a learning experience, not just right. for maybe those subjects, but for life. Like it's, it's things that things that have those real world anchors that you can then base off of NBA and have an understanding as to why you're learning something, which I think make all the difference.
1: Exactly. And along with that, I've started to come to the thinking that we need more story in school, more, not trying to say every kid should be a writer and write a novel, but there's more and more story opportunities for writing as kids get older. But also I'm seeing a lot more in the business world, the nonfiction world, where things are presented in a story-like fashion. And I think we focus too much on grammar. We focus on spelling without the reason why they're learning grammar and spelling, very similar to the sciences, like you said. Kids always say, what do I need this in my life for? I'm not going to do advanced math. So they don't care. Same with spelling and grammar. Why am I ever going to use this? I don't care. So I think that's a little bit of the problem.
2: Yeah. They lack that engagement. They, I feel that if they had a real, like I said, if they had a real world example to maybe then go, Oh, this is what I use this for. And this is what people used this for, this formula for, to make this dam and to make this work, to calculate the flow. I feel like it just, like it must just make so much more sense sometimes. What do we kid? Right. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Exactly. I was talking to another author teacher And I said, I think we've got it backwards. We focus on the spelling and grammar and hit them with it, push it. And then the only thing we ever ask them to actually write is, what did I do last summer? Or a book essay when they're in high school. And so they don't connect it. I think if we started the lower grades with, writing stories writing fan fiction go see a movie and write a fan fiction about it or one of the things i suggested was the c.s lewis lion witch in the wardrobe the Mm -hmm. battle that first movie the battle at the end is like 10 15 minutes long in the book it is literally one paragraph that's the whole battle and i'm like the writing in the book that could be expanded do that with your kids have them expand that battle and write it down but By writing all of this, then when you point out the spelling and the grammar, it makes a whole lot more sense for the kids. So I I like your thoughts. Similar type of thing with science and writing.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: All right, Jim, I've been babbling quite a bit. Great talking about this stuff. That's some of my favorite stuff to talk about. I'll get going forever. Before we get rolling though, or get going, do you have any last minute advice you would give to new authors or authors in high school kids?
2: I think any new authors, I would just, encourage. we're all on our own journeys, aren't we? We're all at different stages. So I think any new authors, I would just say, just keep going. Just just keep going, keep trucking at it, keep writing, keep trying to manage everything in your head and getting it all on the paper. And I think one day, if it's something that, if it's something you really want to end up, what you really want to do, consistency will pay off. And if you just keep going at it, it'll eventually get there.
1: Nice. Great. All right, Jim, I wish you luck with your book and this will be live in a couple weeks. It's been great talking to you. Thank you.
2: Yeah, you too, Stephen. Thanks so much for the time. And uh, yeah, I love chatting with this stuff.
1: Hi, if you enjoyed this episode of Discovered Wordsmiths, please support the author. Go to their website, go to Amazon, look them up, get the book. And if you click on the link that I have in the show notes, you'll also help support the podcast so I can keep the hosting and all the software I use and... Uh, Keep it running for more authors. When I am recording this, we've got over 100 episodes, lots of authors. Go to the website, discoveredwordsmiths.com. Check it out. There's a lot of great authors, probably in some genre that you love. See what they have. Check out their books. That's what the point of the uh, podcast is for. So people can discover new authors, find some new books they love, support the authors so they can continue writing. So please support them. And if you do like the podcast, if you've been thinking of podcasting or you're a writer, I've got some links also at the website. Click on those if you're interested in any of the software or services that I talk about. Everything that I have there is something I use. So I've got an affiliate link. Again, it's a little bit, if everyone clicked on those, if they were going to get it anyway, it helps keep the podcast going. So let's all help each other out. Discover more authors to read.
0: Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe sometime in the near future, it might be you.